0: Purple.com Sleep Better for Less Number 1 in Customer Satisfaction 2 years in a row with Mattresses Online by J.D. Power Award Pick the right mattress for you The Purple Mattress Dual Layer Comfort Form Purple Hybrid Breathable response, Responsive Support Purple Hybrid Premier Less Pressure for a Dreamy Floating The Ascent Adjustable Base to Make it Possible to Work, Read and Lounge in Bed Bundle up for big savings, timber-soft premium bedding, and cushion bundles. Kids mattress, obsolete place, grid, and softer form for best support for little sleepers. Enjoy no pressure support with free sheets and two pillows. On select mattresses, purchased up to 247 value. Sleepy Jones and purple pajamas, all-day comfort with soft-stretch-inspired pajamas while you worry about breakfast. Some products are Purple Harmony Pillow, <coughs> double seat cushion, <coughs> Purple Gravity weight weighted blanket, Purple duvet. Choose Purple for no pressure support for everybody 30 plus years and 35 Pads, comfort gel grid technology rigid grid to make wheelchairs more comfortable than their remembered beds. People love Purple, period. Positively comfy even for your fur baby everyplate.com make affordable crowd-pleasing meals at home choose from 14 delicious and affordable recipes that change every week everything you need is shipped to your door home-cooked deliciousness ready in 30 minutes save time and skip tedious trips to the grocery store Save money and enjoy tasty dinners that won't break the bank at only $4.99 per serving. Easy to cook recipes at only six, six of sibs and will turn you into a chef. And you can skip or cancel anytime. Some examples of the meals are sweet chili chicken, super smashed burgers, balsamic glazed pork chops, Tuscan pork meatballs, crispy blue cheese chicken. Chicken sausage meatball soup, saucy chicken and pepper stir-fry, garlicky white sauce flatbreads, caramelized onion meatloafs, loaded baked potato chowder, creamy chicken sausage penne, black bean and pepper jack tostadas, chili garlic shrimp, crispy chickpea cuckoo bowls. Just select recipes uh, after signing up. Recommended by 9,000 families. Break the cycle of boring. Good morning. Hope you had a good week. Uh, Here is U.S. President Number Nineteen, Rutherford B. Hayes, Part Three. Presidency: eighteen seventy-seven to eighteen eighty-one. Inauguration: Because March fourth, eighteen seventy-seven, was a Sunday, Hayes took the oath of office privately on Saturday, March third, in the Red Room of the White House, the first president to do so in the Executive Mansion. He took the oath publicly on March fifth, on on the East Portico of the United States Capitol. In his knuckles, dress, Hayes attempted to soothe the passions of the past few months, saying that he serves his country best, who serves his country best. Oh, he serves his party best, who serves his country best. He pledged to support wise Arms on peaceful local self-government in the South, as well as reform of the civil service and a full return to the gold standard. Despite his vestige of conciliation, many dep- Democrats never considered Hayes election illegitimate and referred to him as wrath or fraud. Or his, fraudulence, or his fraudulency for the next four years. The South and the End of Reconstruction Hayes had firmly reported Republican, Re- Republican Reconstruction policies throughout his career, but the major act of his presidency was an end to Reconstruction and and the return of the South to rule. Even without the conditions of the Wormley's Hotel Agreement, Hayes would not have been hard-pressed to continue his presidency, predecessors' policies. The House of Representatives in in the 45th Congress was controlled by a majority of Democrats, and they refused to appropriate enough funds for the Army to continue to garrison the South. Even among Republicans, devotion to continued military reconstruction was fading in the face of persistent Southern insurgency and violence. Only two states were still under Reconstruction's sway when Hayes assumed the presidency, and without troops to enforce the voting rights laws. These soon fell to democratic control. Aside from further delay, Hayes' later attempts to protect the rights of Southern blacks were ineffective, as were his attempts to rebuild Republican strength in the South. He did, however, defeat Congress's efforts to curtail federal power to monitor federal elections. Democrats in Congress passed an Army Appropriation Bill in 1879 with a writer that appealed the re enforcement acts which had been used to suppress the Ku Klux Klan. Chapters had, had flourished across the South as it had been one of the insurgent groups that attacked and suppressed Freedmen. Those acts passed during Reconstruction, made a crime to prevent someone from voting because of his race. Other mar- other paramilitary groups, such as the Red Shirts and the Carolinas, however, had intimidated Freedmen and suppressed the, votes, the vote. Hayes was determined to preserve the law protecting black voters and vetoed their appropriation. The, con- the Democrats did not have enough votes to override the veto, but they passed a new bill with the same rider. Hayes vetoed that bill too, and the process repeated three times more. Finally, Hayes signed an appropriation without an offensive rider, but Congress refused to pass another bill to fund federal marshals who were vital to the enforcement of the Enforcement Acts. The election laws remained in effect, but the, but the funds to enforce them were curtailed for the time being. Hayes tried to reconcile the social morals of the South with the recently passed civil rights laws by distributing patronage among Southern Democrats. My task was to wipe out the color line to abolish sectionalism, to end the war, and bring peace. He wrote in his diary, to do this, I was ready to resort to unusual measures and to risk my own standing and reputation within my party and the country. All his efforts were in vain. Hayes failed to persuade the South to accept legal racial equality, or to convince to Congress to, have fund, to appropriate funds to enforce the civil rights, civil rights laws. Civil Service Reform Hayes took office determined to reform the system of civil service appointments which had been based base on the spoil system since Andrew Jackson's presidency. Instead of giving federal jobs to political supporters, Hayes wished to award them by merit according to an examination that all applicants would take. Hayes called for reform and immediately brought him into conflict with the stalwart or pro-spoils branch of the Republican Party. Senators of both parties were accustomed to being consulted about political appointments and turned against Hayes. Foremost among his enemies was New York Senator Roscoe Conkling, who fought Hayes' reform efforts at every turn. To show his commitment to reform, Hayes appointed one of the best-known advocates of reform, Carl Schurz, to be Secretary of the Interior and as Schurz and Secretary of State William M. Evarts to lead a special candidate committee charged with drawing up new rules for federal appointments. Treasury Secretary John Sherman ordered John Jay to investigate the New York Custom House, which was stacked with Conkling spoilsmen. Jay's report suggests that the New York Custom House was so overstaffed with political appointees that 20% of the employees... Were expendable, although he could not convince Congress to pre- prohibit the spoils system, Hayes issued an executive order that forbade federal office holders from being required to make campaign contributions or otherwise taking, party in poli- taking part in party politics. Chester A. Arthur, the collector of the port of New York, and his subordinates Alonzo B. Cornell and George H. Sharp, all Conkling supporters, refused to obey the order. In September 1877, Hayes demanded that their resignations, which they refused to give. He submitted appointments of Theodore Roosevelt Sr., L. Bradford Prince, and Edward Merritt, all supporters of Evar Conkling's New York rival, to the Senate for confirmation as their replacements. The Senate Commerce Committee, chaired by Conkling, voted unanimously to reject the nominees. The full Senate rejected Roosevelt and Prince by a vote of 31 to 25 and confirmed Merritt only because Sharpe's term had expired. Hayes was forced to wait until July 1878 when he fired Arthur and Cornell during a congressional recess and replaced them with recess appointments of Merritt and Silas W. Burt, respectively. Conkling opposed confirmation of appointees when the Senate reconvened in February 1879, but Merritt approved by a vote of 31 to 25 and Burt by 31-19, giving Hayes his most significant civil service reform victory. For the remainder of his term, Hayes pressed Congress to enact permanent reform legislation and fund the United States Civil Service Commission, even using his last annual message to Congress in 1880 to appeal for reform. Reform legislation did not pass during Hayes' presidency, but his advocacy provided a significant precedent as well as a political impedance for the Pendleton Act of 1883, which was signed into law by President Chester Arthur, Hayes allowed some exceptions to ban on assessments permitting George Congdon, Congdon Quorum, Secretary of the Republican Congressional Committee, to solicit a campaign contributions for the federal officeholders during the Congressional elections of 1878. In 1880, Hayes quickly forced Secretary of Navy Richard W. Thompson to resign as the Thompson accepted a $25,000 salary for a nominal job offered by French engineer Ferdinand de Lesseps to promote a French canal in Panama. Hayes also dealt with corruption in the postal service. In 1880, shares and Senator John A. Logan asked Hayes to shut down the Star Route rings, a system of corrupt contact, contract profiteering in the Postal Service and to fire Second Assistant Postmaster General Thomas J. Brady, the alleged ringleader. Hayes stopped granting New Star route contracts, but let existing contracts continue to be enforced. Democrats accused him of delaying proper investigation, so as not to damage Republicans' chances in the 1880 elections, but did not press the issue in their campaign literature, as members of both parties were implicated in the corruption. Historian Hans L. Trefus Letter wrote that Hayes hardly knew the su- true suspect Brady and certainly had no connection with the Star Route corruption. Although Hayes and the Congress both investigated the contracts and found no compelling evidence of wrongdoing, Brady and others were indicted for conspiracy in 1882. After two trials, the defense were acquitted in 1883. Great Railroad Strike. In his first year in office, Hayes was faced with the United States' largest labor uprising. To date, the Great Railroad Strike of 1877. To make up for financial losses suffered since the Panic of 1873, the major roads had cut their employees' wages several times in 1877. In July of that year, workers at the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad walked off the job at Martinsburg, West Virginia, to, pro- to protest their reduction in pay. The strike quickly spread to workers of the New York, Central Erie, and Pennsylvania Railroads, with strikers soon... Numbering into thousands, fearing a riot, Governor Henry M. Matthews asked Hayes to send federal troops to Martinsburg and Hayes did so but when the troops arrived there was no riot, only a peaceful protest. In Baltimore, however, a riot did erupt on July 20th and Hayes ordered the troops of Fort McHenry to assist the governor in suppressing it. Pittsburgh exploded into riots next but Hayes was reluctant to send in troops without the governor's request other discontented citizens joined the railroad workers in rioting. After a few days, Hayes resolved to send in troops to protect Federal Party, wherever it appeared to be threatened, and gave Major General Winfield Scott Hancock overall command of the situation, marking the first use of Federal troops to break a strike against a private company. The riots spread further into Chicago and St. Louis, where strikers shut down railroad facilities. By July 29th, the riots had ended and Federal troops returned to the barracks, no federal troops had killed any of the strikers or been killed themselves, but clashes between state and militia troops and strikers resulted in deaths on both sides. The railroads were victorious in the short term as the workers returned to their jobs, and some wage cuts remained in effect, but the public blamed, blamed the rebels for the strikes and violence, and they were compelled to improve working conditions and make no further cuts. Business leaders praised Hayes, but his own opinion was more... Equivocal, as he recorded in his diary, the strikes have been put down by force, but now for the real remedy can't something be done by education of strikers, by judicious control of capitalists, by wise general policy, or to end or diminish the evil. The railroad strikers, as a rule, are good men, sober, intelligent, and industrious. Currency Debate Hayes confronted two issues. Regarding the currency, the first of which was the coinage of silver and its relation to gold, in 1873 the Coinage Act of 1873 stopped the coinage of silver for all coins worth a dollar or more, effectively tying the dollar to the value of gold. As a result, the money supply contracted and the effects of the Panic of 1873 grew worse, making it more expensive for debts to pay debts they had contracted when currency was less valuable. Farmers and laborers especially clamor for the return of coinage in both metals, believing the increased money supply would restore wages and property values. Democratic Representative Richard P. Plant in Missouri proposed a bill to require the United States to coin as much silver as miners could sell and the government thus increasing the money supply and aiding debtors. William B. Allison, a Republican from Iowa, <laughs> offered an amendment in the Senate limiting the coinage to 2 to $4 million per month and resulting Bland-Alison Act passed both houses of Congress in 1878. Hayes feared the act would cause inflation that would be ruinous to business effectively impairing contracts that were based on the gold dollar as the silver dollar proposed in the bill would have an intrinsic value of 90 to 92% of the existing gold dollar. He also believed that inflating the currency with dishonest expediency and justice both demand an honest currency. He vetoed the bill, but Congress overruled his veto, and only time it did so during his presidency. The second issue concerned United States notes, commonly called greenbacks, a form of flat currency first issued during the Civil War. The government accepted these notes as valid for payment of taxes and tariffs, but unlike ordinary dollars, they were not redeemable in gold. The Specie Payment Resumption Act of 1875 required the Treasury to redeem any outstanding greenbacks in gold, thus retiring them from circulation and restoring a single gold-backed currency. Sherman agreed with Hayes' favorable opinion of the Act and stockpiled gold in preparation for the exchange of greenbacks for gold. But once the public would comfort they could redeem greenbacks for specie or gold, few did so with, when the Act took effect in 1879. Only... One hundred thirty thousand of the outstanding <coughs> three hundred forty-six million dollars in greenbacks were actually redeemed, together with the Blant, <coughs> together with the Blank- Allison Act, the successful specie resumption effected <coughs> a workable compromise between inflationists and hard money men, and as the world economy began to improve. Agitation for more greenbacks and silver coinage quieted down for the rest of Hayes' presidency. Foreign policy Most of Hayes' foreign policy concerned about Latin America. In 1878, following the Paraguayan War, he arbitrated a territory dispute between Argentina and Paraguay. Hayes awarded the disputed land in the <coughs> Gran Chaco region to Paraguay, and the Paraguayans on honored him by renamed the city of Villa Hayes and the Department of Hayes in his honor. Hayes became concerned over the plans of Ferdinand de Lesseps, the builder of the Suez Canal, to construct a canal across the Isthmus of Panama, then part of Colombia. Worried about a repetition of French adventurism, in Mexico, Hayes interpreted that the Maroon doctrine firmly. In a message to Congress, Hayes explained his opinion on the canal. The policy of this country is a canal under American control. The United States cannot consent to the surrender of this control to any European power or any combination of European powers. The Mexican border also drew Hayes' attention. Throughout the 1870s, lawless bands cr- often crossed the border on raids into Texas. Three months after taking office, Hayes granted the Army. The power to pursue bandits, even if it required crossing into Mexican territory. Mexican President Por, Porfirio Diaz pr- pr- protested the order and sent troops to the border. The situation calmed as Diaz and Hayes agreed to jointly pursue bandits, and Hayes agreed not to allow Mexican re- <coughs> not to allow Mexican revolutionaries to raise armies in the su- United States. The violence along the border decreased, and in 1880 Hayes revoked the order of pursuit into Mexico. Outside the Western Hemisphere, Hayes' biggest foreign policy concern dealt with China. In 1868, the Senate had ratified the Burlingame Treaty with China, allowing an unrestricted flow of Chinese immigrants into the United States. As the economy soured after the Panic of 1873, Chinese immigrants were blamed in the American West for depressing. Workmen's wages. During the Great Railroad Strike of 1877, anti Chinese riots broke out of San Francisco, and the Third Party, the Workming, Working Man's Party, formed with an emphasis on stopping Chinese immigration. In response, Chi- Congress passed the Chinese Exclusion Act in 1879, ab- abrogating the 18, 1868 treaty. Hayes vetoed the bill, believing that the United States should not abrogate treaties without negotiation. The veto drew praise from Eastern. Liberals but Hayes was bitterly denounced in the West. In the subsequent fear, Democrats in the House of representatives attempted to impeach him but narrowly failed when Republicans prevented a quorum by refusing to vote. After the veto assistant secretary of state Frederick W. Seward suggested that the countries work together to reduce immigration, and he and he and James Burrow Angell. And, and Negotiated with the Chinese to do so, Congress passed a new law to that effect, the Chinese Inclusion Act of 1882. After Hayes had left office, Indian policy Interior Secretary Carl Schurz carried out Hayes' and American Indian policy, beginning with preventing the War Department from taking over the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Hayes and Schurz carried out a policy that included assimilation into white culture, educating, training, and dividing Indian land into individual household allotments. Hayes believed the policy would lead to self and peace between Indians and whites. The allotment system under the Dawes Act, later signed by President Cleveland in 1887, was favored by liberal reformers at that time, including shares, but instead proved detrimental to American Indians. They lost much of the land through sale, sales of the, what the government classified as surplus lands, and more to unscripted white speculators who tried to get the Indians to sell their allotments. Hayes and Sheriffs reformed the Bureau of Indian Affairs to reduce fraud and give Indians responsibility for policing their reservations, but they were generally understaffed. Hayes dealt with several conflicts with Indian tribes. The Nez Perce, led by Chief Joseph, began an uprising in June 1877 when Major General Oliver O. Howard ordered them to move to a reservation. Howard's men defeated the Nez Perce in battle, and the tribe began a 17 Hundred-mile retreat to Canada in October after a decisive battle at Bear Paw, Montana. Chief Joseph surrendered to, surrendered, and William T. Sherman ordered the tribe transferred to Indian Territory in Kansas, where they were forced to remain until 1885. The Nez Perce War was not the last conflict in the West, as the Bannock rose up in spring 1870 in Idaho and raided nearby settlements before being defeated by Howard's army in July. War with Ute tribe broke out in Colorado in 1879 when some Ute Ute killed Indian agent Nathan Meeker who had been attempting to convert them to Christianity. The the subsequent White River war ended when Shirts negotiated peace with the Ute and prevented White settlers from taking revenge for Meeker's death. Hayes also became involved in resolving the removal of the Ponca tribe from Nebraska to Indian Territory, present-day Oklahoma. Because of, mis- of a misunderstanding during the Grant administration, the tribe's problems came to his attention after its chief standing bear, Hayes also became involved in resolving the removal of the Ponca tribe from Nebraska to Indian Territory, present-day Oklahoma, because of a misunderstanding during the Grant Administration. The tribe's problems came to Hayes' attention after its chief, Standing Bear, filed a lawsuit that contested Shores' demand that they stay in Indian Territory over rural Hayes set up a commission in 1880 that ruled the Ponca were free to return to their home territory in Nebraska or stay on their reservation in, in India. INDIAN TERRITORY The Punca were awarded a compensation for the land rights which had been previously granted to the Sioux. In a message to Congress in February 1881, Hayes insisted he would give, give to these injured people the measure of redress which required alike by justice and by humanity. GREAT WESTERN TOUR OF 1880 In 1880, Hayes embarked on a 71-day tour of the American West, becoming the second sitting president to sat, travel west of the Rocky Mountains. Hayes' immediate predecessor, Ulysses Grant, visited Utah in 1875. Hayes' traveling party included his wife and William T. Sherman, who helped organize the trip. Hayes began his trip in September 1880, departing from Chicago on the Transcontinental Railroad. He journeyed across the continent, ultimately arriving in California, stopping first in, a, in Wyoming, and then Utah and Nevada, reaching Sacramento and San by San Francisco. Railroad and stagecoach. That party traveled north to Oregon, arriving in Portland, and from there to Vancouver, Washington, going by steamship to visit Seattle, and then returned to San Francisco. Hayes then toured several southwest states before returning to Ohio in November, in time to cast a vote <coughs> in the 1880 presidential election. Hayes White House. Hayes and his wife, Lucy, were known for their policy of keeping an alcohol-free White House, giving rise to her nickname, Lemonade Lucy. The first reception at the Hayes White House included wine, but Hayes was dismayed at drunken behavior at receptions hosted by ambassadors around Washington, leading to false his wife's Temperance' leanings. Alcohol was not served again in the Hayes White House. Chris charged Hayes with parsimony, but Hayes spent more money, which came out of his personal budget after the ban ordering that any savings from linen alcohol would be used on more lavish entertainment. His temperance policy also paid political dividends, trickling in support of Protestant ministers. Although Secretary Evarts equipped that at the White House dinners, <coughs> water flowed like wine. The policy was a success in convincing prohibitions to vote Republican. Administration and Cabinet The Hayes Cabinet Judicial Appointments <coughs> Hayes appointed two associate justices to the Supreme Court. court. The first phase occurred when da- David Davis resigned to enter the Senate during the election controversy of 1876. On taking office, Hayes appointed John Marshall Harlan to the seat, a former candidate for governor of the Kentucky. Harlan had been management and Bristol's campaign manager at the 1876 Republican convention, and Hayes had early considered him for... Attorney General, Hayes submitted the nomination in October 1877, but it aroused some dissent in the Senate because of Harlan's limited experience in public office. Harlan was nonetheless confirmed and served on the court for 34 years, voting usually in the minority for progressive up- enforcement of the civil rights laws. In 1880, a second seat became vacant upon the resignation of, Wall- of Justice William Strong Hayes' nominee, William Barnham Woods, a carpetbagger Republican circuit court judge from Alabama, would served six years on the court, ultimately swerving a disappointment to Hayes as he interpreted the Constitution in a manner more similar to that of Southern Democrats than to Hayes' own preferences. Hayes unsuccessfully attempted to fill a third vacancy. In 1881, Justice Dole Haynes Swain resigned. With the expectation that Hayes would fill his seat by appointing Stanley Matthews, a friend of both men, many ma- many senators objected to the appointment, believing that Matthews was too close to corporate and railroad interests, especially those of Jay Gould, and the Senate adjourned without voting on the nomination. The following year, when James A. Garfield entered the White House, he resubmitted Matthews' submission to the Senate, which this time confirmed Matthews by one vote, 24-23. to 23. Matthews served for eight years until his death in 1889. His opinion to Yick-Woe Wo versus Hopkins in 1886 advanced his and Hayes' views on the protection of ethnic minorities and rights. Stay tuned for Part 4 of U.S. President number nine, eighteen 18 Rutherford B. Hayes